But when I wrote that first book, Unapologetically Me, it resonated with so many women who struggled with that same feeling of like, how do I love the person that gave me life? But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, I really don't rock with you, you know, <laughs> because you chose drugs over me or you chose a man over me. And I didn't realize how powerful storytelling was until I became a storyteller through book form. You're listening to The Grind and Gratitude Show. I am Danny Stone, and I've dedicated my entire life to helping people win. Win in their careers, win in their businesses, and win in their lives. This podcast is going to help you get on your grind and hustle to create the life that you love and walk in gratitude along the journey. Each episode, I'll teach you tools and tactics and bring you conversations with experts that will help you turn your passion into a thriving online business. Life isn't about wishing for something greater. It's about making it happen. There's something special about you. Grind until you find it. Be grateful when you get it. Welcome to the Grind and Gratitude Show. If this is your first time tuning in, thank you so much. If you're an avid listener, you already know I got a lot of love for you. My name is Danny Stone, also known as Coach Stone is in the building. I'm your host. I come here every single week. I drop a brand new episode to help you level up your life and your business. Now, I went a long stretch with just me doing solo episodes. And as you know, I just had my first guest last week. And guess what? I'm bringing you in another amazing guest. One thing about this show is I always bring you people that I believe in, people that I know can help you level up your life and your business. And so today, I'm super excited about my guest. So I have to tell you a little bit about her. She is an eight-time published author, transform transformation, transformation speaker, your visibility activator, podcast host of the internationally streamed Hey Queen. <laughs> I had to say it like that. She's a Thrive and Sexual Assault Thriver and activist. Uh, she's the CEO and founder of Purposely, purposely, purpose, purposely faithful LLC, which is her coaching and consulting firm specializing in working with women of color with a desire to increase their visibility and while making an impact and profitability that they desire through the power of storytelling. Now, you know this, I got love for storytelling, everybody. She's also an award winner of I Am Her International Awards, Woman of the Women on the Rise. She's been blessed to be featured on 142 different media publications, including but not limited to International Magazine, Femi, and Speak, and Speak Woman Magazine. I have to help you. You guys need to help me welcome my friend, my sister, Leah M. Forney. Welcome to the show. What's up, coach? Man, I, I, was going, I, was, I was fumbling through that because it was like, you've done a lot. You have yeah. done a lot. Like I'm lot. saying eight books and, and coaching and speaking and advocacy. Yeah. And where do you find the energy to do all this? <laughs> ah, you know, I feel like that's like the number one question. Like, when did you find the time? So a lot of my books happened during the pandemic. Like I tell people all the time, I feel like the pandemic was such a blessing in disguise because it really taught me the power of like really slowing down and appreciating life. Cause like prior to that, like, you know, when you have your rat race routine, you just go, 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 go. Right. So the pandemic kind of helped me to like slow down, appreciate life. 
And I feel like that was when I had the most time to be still. And so God was just talking to me and he's like, hey, we're going to write some books during this time. So, so, so how many books did you write during the pandemic? Four. Wow. Yeah. Four books. Like, so I know what people are saying right now. There's people right now who are like, I've been thinking about writing a book for one year, the last five years, 10 years. So how did you kind of just get started on not even the book, the, the very first book that you wrote? How did you just start writing a book? You know, so I was always a writer. So I tell people my backstory is I'm the daughter of two addicts. Um, I grew up being raised by mom, my grandma and grandpa, and my aunt. And so writing was kind of my way of escape. And mm-hmm. I grew up in Jamaica, Queens. A lot of my friends came from two parent households. I didn't. I had grandma, grandpa and auntie. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I felt like the sore thumb amongst my friends. I stood out because everybody's going home to mom and dad and I wasn't. And so writing, it was my way of escape as a young kid. I didn't know that I was going to be an author. That was never on my radar. It was just my way of coming up with elaborate stories about who my parents were. So mm-hmm. when people would ask me, you know, where's your dad? It would be like, oh, he's a CIA agent. You know, he on this top secret mission. <laughs> like that was, that was the story I came up with, you know, as a young kid. But it was therapy. It was my way of escape, you know, because if I wasn't writing, I was fighting. And my grandmother's biggest fear was like, you're going to either end up dead real early or end up in prison. So I knew I had to find a different way to channel my emotions. And writing was it. I didn't become even think about being an author until about 2015 when mm. literally God said to me, it's time to write a book. And I was like, who writing a book? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Me too. Like, me, me too. I was the same. I, I know. Right. You're talking to me. I know, writer. You crazy, God. Right. <laughs> yeah, it was literally one of those like, okay, so I'm writing a book about what? And then who reading it? Like, it was just like, I had questions. Like, right. sir. <laughs> So he was just like, we're going to write a story about your life. And I'm like, well, what part of my life? You know, this is <laughs> so my very first book really was my my tumultuous relationship with my mom mm-hmm. and how I struggled with loving her because she was the woman that gave me life, but hating her all at the same time because of her addiction mm-hmm. and what it did to our family. And so when I wrote that book, I was actually, I was attending church and my one of my dear friends is still my editor to this day. She read the book and she was like, I would be honored to edit this and like publish it for you. And she was just like, you're a storyteller, Leah. Like, I don't think you realize. And I'm like, again, it's like, who you talk about? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't have, I don't know what you're talking about. But when I wrote that first book, Unapologetically Me, it resonated with so many women mm-hmm. who struggled with that same feeling of like, how do I love the person that gave me life but at the same time like yeah i really don't rock with you you know Mm -hmm. because you chose drugs over me or you chose a man over me and Mm -hmm. i didn't realize how powerful storytelling was until i became a storyteller through book form and so that's really how it started like i was just a little girl trying to escape reality of what was happening so i picked up a pen wow that's a powerful story like you and i know each other you're 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 definitely um you know we've gotten to know each other over the last five or six months. You're one of the moderators in our Champion You community on Clubhouse, and I've heard bits and pieces of your story. And your story is amazing, and amazing in the sense of your strength and your courage. Like to write about that, even when you got the calling to do that. What there's one thing to write about something and just have it for yourself, and then the minute that you decide that you're going to hand it over and publish that. And so the world can read it. 
like what was going through your mind at that time? Because there's a lot of people right now who have a story maybe similar to yours who just want to keep it close. They're ashamed or afraid to put it out. What what was the thing that made you just say, you know what, I'm going to put it out there? You know what? I So I was raised in the church. So I, listen, I tell people I'm not a preacher, but they kick in every now and then. <laughs> but the Bible tells us that we overcome by the words of our testimony. And so me making a decision to become a published author really was me recognizing that my story wasn't just my story. I think the the trick of the enemy a lot of times is to make us stay stuck in this guilt and shame that it just happened to you. Mm. And so we isolate, we don't talk about it because we believe the lie that it just happened to you. And so I knew that if God was unctioning me to tell this part of my story, then it was not just for me. It was for somebody else. Right. You know, somebody else needed to know that they weren't alone with those feelings. They weren't mm-hmm. alone with the the difficulties of navigating mother daughter relationships. You know, it's hard to have mother daughter, especially in the black community, because yeah. we just don't know how to do it. But we don't yeah. talk about it. And so that was, for me, the reason why I decided to go forth and publish it, because it was bigger than I recognized early on. It was bigger than me mm-hmm. and that my story was somebody else's. Mm. Yeah, that, that's so great. You know, I often talk about your, your your mission has to be bigger than other people's opinions, right? And we're so concerned about what other people say. And the people who you're concerned about have their own challenges and their own things that they need to work through. Yet we're so concerned about us putting our truth out there or us following our goals and our dreams. And so, you know, much respect to you because that's a, I mean, that's a really tough topic talking about your relationship and 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 that tumultuous upbringing. So for you, um, what, like, what is your relationship like now with your, with your, your parents? Yeah, unfortunately it never got to where I wanted it to be. My father, he ended up passing away three years ago, um, still battled with, with alcoholism in and out of prison. My mom, she still battles to drug addiction to this day. Mm -hmm. You know, I had to get to the point where I had to unfortunately disconnect from my mom because I was her go-to person as long as she was getting high. Mm. You know, every time she thought that she was going to die or something was going to happen, she'd come calling me. But when she was out there doing her thing, she never heard from like I never heard from her. So the last time that she made the decision to, you know, leave a rehab that I had put her up in and was doing all of this stuff, mm. I was just like, you know what? I can't. Like, I have to choose me at this point. I have to put the boundaries in place and love you from a distance. So that was really, really hard because out of all my siblings, I was the one that was still holding on to hope Mm. that she was going to get it together. and We were going to have this relationship. And what I learned was that, you know, sometimes we have this picture and what God has taught me is that just because the picture doesn't manifest the way you want it to manifest, doesn't mean it's not. Mm. Right. Like I don't have the mother daughter relationship that I would have wanted with my biological mom, but I have spiritual mothers that I have an amazing relationship with it. And so I had to learn that it may not be what I wanted or how I wanted it, but God knows what he's doing. He'll give you exactly who you need when you need it. No, that's so powerful. And and, and so what, like, what has it taught you about forgiveness? Like how, what did you learn about Mm. forgiveness in that situation? Man, forgiveness is such a journey. And there's so like, there's layers to forgiveness, you know, like I going through therapy for me, helped me to see my parents as the humans that they were. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. I think for a long time as a young girl, I saw my mom and dad as like these superheroes. They couldn't do no wrong. Like they were on this high pedestal and therapy helped me to see, no, they just humans mm-hmm. with their own tools, with their own baggage, trying to do this thing called life. Right. Mm-hmm. And once I recognized that they were human with human flaws and frailties with the limited amount of tools that they had because their parents didn't give them what they needed. Like I was able to not only see them as humans, but then forgive them and Mm -hmm. realize that they literally was doing what was best for me at the time. You know, for a long time, I resented my parents because they gave us up. You know, I was raised with some, with other family members and I couldn't understand that, but therapy helped me to see that was the best decision. Like I, in the weirdest way, now I can say, like, I so am grateful for my parents because I couldn't even imagine having to make that decision to know that I created life, but I'm not in a position to take care of the life that I created. And so now I have to make a hard decision to say, I love you so much that I'm going to give you to somebody else that can raise you. Now, that's so powerful. I think, you know, for me growing up in low-income housing, seeing a lot of you know, um, destructive behavior and trauma. One of the things that we have to realize is that that's handed down. And we, exactly what you said, we don't know the the hand that, you know, our parents were dealt or we don't know the situations or the things that they've seen and that they've kind of inherited. So I think that's some really great insight. But one of the other things I want to recognize you for that you said is that you got therapy. And a lot of people have mm-hmm. stigmas around therapy, especially in our community, in the black community. Like you don't want to go talk to nobody. And and so, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, you going to therapy and like what you would say to people right now who are like, nah, that's not for me, or there's there's a stigma around going to therapy. Yeah. So I will say this. So professionally, and I don't even know if you know this coach, but I have a master's degree in marriage and family therapy. I've been a mental health clinician for 10 years. Wow. That has been what I did since I graduated from undergrad. And so I have always been a component for therapy, like always been pushing the importance of healing, especially in the black community, because we have generational trauma. I mean, all the way from slavery on down, right? That we just, you know, we have such a resilience about us as people where we just know how to keep on ticking. But sometimes that keep on ticking still be dealing with us. Like my spiritual dad would always say, what's in you is going to come up out of you, right? (laughs) So those mannerisms, the way you react to things, the way like it's going to come up out of you. And so I I went to therapy very first time I ever went to therapy was actually nine years ago when I was sexually assaulted in my apartment. And it was weird because, again, we come from that generation of like, we pray about everything. You know, you don't talk therapy. We ain't going to sit on my couch. We're going to talk to Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. And so it was very weird getting in tune with emotions, getting in tune with how I was feeling, you know, having a therapist asking me to process certain things. It was so weird the very first time I ever went to therapy. But it helped me to put in perspective the need for having to process when we go through traumatic experiences because again i think that as black people we don't process what we're going through i told somebody the other day i feel like we have a low in emotional intelligence like we don't we don't know how to put in words like how we're feeling what's going so it's easy to say oh i'm okay 
I'm fine. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, the things that we always say yeah. when we don't really want to say I'm broken right now. I'm right. going through right now. So that was the first time that I went. The second time I went to therapy was actually in the last four years. So my fiance passed away in 2018. I'm sorry to hear that. And it was so unexpected. And what caused me to go to therapy that time was I actually almost died. So I'm driving. I'm having a really bad grief episode. And I'm crying. I'm bawling my eyes out. And I black out behind the wheel of the car. And what has me to come to is I hear the sound of the horn blaring from the other car. And when I tell you, we were like inches from head on collision. And in that moment, coach, I literally heard God say to me, are you going to deal with it? Because it's dealing with you. Wow. Like it is now time because you have, you've been trying to drink it away. You've been trying to suppress it. Like it's time. And so I made the appointment to go to see my therapist um, and actually it's funny because yesterday made five years since I've been with the same therapist, but I literally made the appointment and it was the start of the journey to heal because what I realized was God used my fiance's death as the catalyst to get me to deal with all the other losses. Mm. And so I spent my whole life escaping grief and loss because I didn't realize that I was grieving as a young kid, you know, until my therapist showed me. Like you've had all these other losses. Your parents weren't there, all these different things that I was grieving. And it just took one death to show me like, no, you've been grieving your entire existence. Mm. So what I would tell people is that healing is a choice. You know, you got to get to a point when you're really ready to deal with what comes with healing. It's not easy. It is definitely a process. And I tell people there's layers to healing. Just when you think you're like, Oh, I didn't got over that. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> like here comes a deeper layer. And you're like, ah. So, but there's what I have learned is that there's another side to, to loss. And there's another side, and there is truly life after pain and truly life after loss. But you gotta go through the process. And I would always I personally advocate for more uh therapists of color. I always tell people of color to get you a because it's not to say that other races don't because my first therapist was a Caucasian woman. She was amazing. Mm -hmm. But it is something about having therapy with someone that looks like you because you can just be you. You know what I mean? Like you don't feel like you have to go in and be professional. You know, when I sit across from my therapist who's a black woman, I can drop the F-bombs and be like, Mm -hmm. girl, let me just, Mm -hmm. you know, like I can be me. And inherently so, they they know the experiences that it, that you would have walking in your skin, right? Like there's just that inherent, right. they understand what it's like to be a person of color in this world. So there's some things that you don't even have to say. They just understand. Yeah. 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 Well, man, it, you've been through a lot. You've been through like so many, you know, so much trauma and grief and pain. And it's like, you know, you talked about being sexually assaulted and, and, and losing your fiance. Like, yeah. What what is I mean obviously faith and and therapy play a big part, but that wake up call for you like people have wake up mm-hmm. calls they wake up and they they catch themselves in their grief and their pain and then somehow they revert back to where they were like so what was it that kept you on this path of okay this is a wake up call I realize that I've been grieving my entire life which probably a lot of people have hidden trauma and all this. And and then they realize it, do something about it for a short period of time, and then kind of sink back into 
you know, where they were. So what, mm. what, what, ke- what keeps you going? What keeps you moving forward through the pain and through all the trauma? And like, you've had a, like a very challenge, a lot of challenges. What keeps you going? That's such a good question. I think for me is um, recognizing that I've lived through the worst. Mm. Like, I think one thing that I have learned about trauma is that trauma will keep you feeling like you're waiting for the other shoe to drop Mm. or you're waiting for something bad to happen. And so on my journey to healing, I realized that one, that is a horrible place to be in. Two, the amount of stress you put on your nervous system, always be intense, always waiting for something else to drop or the or something bad to happen I just made a decision I said to myself one day and pray I was like God you know what what if I just wake up every day and I start to expect your best like what if I set the tone of my day like you know what something amazing is gonna happen today I may not feel it in the moment I may like life might be life in you know my reality may not even match that declaration but what if Because if I've lived and survived through the worst, then what does the other side feel like? And so Mm -hmm. it really was a daily making a decision to be intentional about one, how I frame my day and frame my world, but then also two, just being open to the possibilities that if this was the worst that is ever happening in your life, what does God's best look like for you? And Mm -hmm. then be open to what that looks like. That's so powerful. Like, if you know you've you've survived a hundred percent of every bad day that you've ever had, every bad day, no matter how bad the day is, you still woke up today, and so you're still here. And then it's all about changing the lens that we choose to look at things with. If we wake up and you you expect things to be bad, then everything that you see is going to be oh this is bad, this is not working for me because that's the lens. But yeah. what if, like, what if you just woke up and said, you know what? I expect good things to happen. And it's interesting because when I made that kind of shift, I was never like an extremely pessimistic person, but just like you, we've all had challenges in our life. And I thought, you know what? Uh, you know, I used to wake up not really in a positive mind frame. And when I made up my mind that, you know what? I got to be thankful and grateful. Like, there's so many people who are worse off than me. And it, it, it wasn't taken away from my challenges, but it just opened. Like you said, now you're open to like this relationship and this possibility and this business opportunity because you couldn't see it when you're tunnel vision into negativity, right? Yeah. And so I love the yeah. fact that you said like, just what if, like, what if you just, what if today is going to be a better day? What if today is going to be a great day? What if something amazing happens today? Am I ready? Am I open? And I think that's a great lesson for a lot of people. Um, you know, you, you talked a little bit about, you know, I don't know if you want to talk about this, you know, being sexually assaulted and be, becoming mm-hmm. an advocate. Like, yeah. what, like, for you, what led you to kind of being an advocate? Because, again, mm-hmm. like, you're just somebody who, you know, I, one thing about you, Lee, I'm going to say this before we kind of, like, when I first heard you speak in, in our club, in our champion you room and clubhouse, and I heard your transparency, your vulnerability, you know, talking about some of the things that you're talking about now that have happened to you, I was like, man, this is a, a, a powerful woman. Like, this is a strong, mm-hmm. uh, strong woman, high emotional intelligence. Like, you sharing your story is you're helping so many people. Like, 
And and a lot of people just don't answer that call because it's just too heavy. And you did, mm-hmm. and you are. And, and I, I just respect you so much for that. Thank you. And when you talk about being an advocate for women who've been sexually assaulted, like, why is that so important to you for you to be that role? And what made you step up? Yeah. So <laughs> that it's funny how that happened. So when I got sexually assaulted back in 2013, um, like many of us, you know, we we press charges, we go through the legal route, we expect that the justice system is going to do something for us, right? right. And unfortunately, that wasn't my situation. Um, the justice system failed me. They didn't believe me. In fact, I had a white male judge who wouldn't even grant me a restraining order from what? against him. Are you serious? He told me that I was a woman scorned and he didn't really believe that I had been sexually assaulted. So from that moment, that's how I got into therapy the very first time and just had to go through the journey of beginning to pick up life after sexual violation and and work through that. What got me into advocacy though was 2021, June of 2021, I get a phone call from the same police department that failed me basically saying, hey, um, you know your rape kit that we did back in 2013? you know, we just tested it and we have a DNA match. What would you like to do? So eight years later is when they wanted to finally bring justice to what happened to me. And at that time, I didn't know that here in the United States of America, there was a backlog of untested rape kits in the United States of America. So this is the first time I'm hearing, and I'm like, wait a minute, it took eight years for y'all to, what? What do you mean? So I remember praying and I called my grandmother and I'm like, okay, God, if I got to go through this again, like if I got to relive this part of my journey again, like how do I make this bigger than me? Mm. Because if I had to wait eight years for that phone call, I can only imagine how many people are waiting. And so immediately I connected with one of my dear colleagues who does a lot of advocacy for gun violence in Detroit because she lost her son to gun violence. Mm. And so she's like, listen, you need to partner with these organizations that are already doing the work and, and be that survivor voice for them. Because what I've learned on this journey is that there's not many of us that speak up and speak out. And so a lot of these organizations, they can only go based on what they know, what statistics say, but it's something about having a survivor with that real world, real life experience Mm. to say, nah, this is what's really happening to that makes it different. So I did that and I partnered with an organization here in the state of Maryland, um, which is their federal coalition. And I've been in the fight. Like I've been so blessed to be able to sit at the feet of legislation and law enforcement and really share what's been happening. And it, it mattered for me because I'm an aunt of 12. And I always think, how do I make sure that when my time on this earth is done, it's a little bit better for them so that my nieces and my nephews don't ever have to feel like somebody can violate them. And so it wasn't enough for me to be like, oh, let me go have my day in court and he go to prison. It was it was like, how do I make this bigger than me? How Mm. do I stand for all the other women and men that don't have the strength, don't have the resilience, don't have the tenacity to be like, this happened to me. How do I stand for mm. them? And God put me in that position. And I'm so grateful because so many people reach out to me on a daily of just like, this is what's happened to my loved one. Can you guide me? And I'm just grateful to be able to do it and to lend a voice, especially for people of color, because our sexual assault stories do not get told. Yeah. 
Man, that's such a man. That is a journey. That that's, you know. First of all, I'm just so sorry that that happened to you, and that you know the court system failed you. It failed so many people, mm-hmm. and and the fact that you kind of eight years later had to relive that, and then you use that to make it bigger than yourself. And I think that's a, you know, that's that's something that a lot of people can take from a, a difficult situation or something traumatic that has happened. It's like, how can I use this to make a difference for somebody other than me? And and you might not feel like you're equipped. You might not feel like you're ready. But if you feel like you're being called to do something more than just for yourself, then, then answer the call. And I did the same thing with gun violence. Like I lost quite a few friends to gun violence when, you know, growing up. And, and then, you know, a lot of young people I used to coach and mentor, you know, were affected by gun violence. I lost people I used to coach and mentor to gun violence. So I was just like, I was fed up. And it's like, what can I do? I can tell a story of one person that I used to coach or mentor or one friend or family member, or I can like do what you did, get connected to zero gun violence movement, where now we're same thing here in Canada, you know, legislation, meeting with you know, going and speaking to new police recruits, doing community work. And so I think that's a lesson for so many people, like take your trauma, right. And, and your, and, and turn that into your testimony and, and make a greater impact with that, you know, and you've, you've done that with a lot of things in your life. Like that, that's, that's your, tra- like Liz track record is like, <laughs> man, I don't know what it is with you. Like turning pain into purpose. It's like, this kind of, this this really traumatic thing happened, but guess what? You're gonna hear about it because I got books, I got a yeah. stage, I got a podcast, I'm a I'm at legislation. <laughs> and so you, you let you put people on notice. Like I, I really love that about you. And I'm not saying this is for everybody, but the fact that you do that, man, it's just really kind of to me, it's really inspiring to know that you wake Thank up every you. day and you 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 live your your mission and your purpose, you know? Yeah. Um, so then you started, you got the books and, Mm -hmm. and, and you're doing the speaking and all that kind of stuff. So then like, how did you kind of get to like, now I want to start coaching women of color. Like I, what was it that said that that's what I want to do. And those (laughs) are the people I want to work with. Yeah, you know, it's so funny. So I started, like, I ran from coaching for a very long time, coach. I ain't even going to hold you. Because, yeah. I mean, when you have a therapy background, you know, it can blur the line. So yep. for a very long time, I was kind of like, eh, nobody's coaching nobody. Um, but I just kept having women coming to me. And and it's funny because it started out with me just helping them around clarity. And then I was helping them write books. But it, what I was teaching in that time just wasn't fulfilling to me. It was mm-hmm. like, I, I wasn't, it was like, I could teach you how to write a book, but you can also Google it and learn. Right. You know I mean? like, yeah, it, exactly. it just wasn't resonating with me. And so I kind of went on this journey to get clear about what it was that I wanted. And it started actually with a 21 day fast that God had instructed me to go on mm. and getting clear about the coaching business and what that was going to look like. And then hiring uh, a coach. And it was funny because God had told me specifically who my coach was. Really? And I was already connected to this person. 
but this person was connected to someone that I had a falling out with. And I was like, nope, I'm not calling this person. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, negative. And God was like, so you're going to be disobedient or you're going to be obedient? And I was just like, fine. And so I reached out to my, my now coach and we had the conversation. And I let her know, like, you know, I was very hesitant because of her connection with that person. And she mm. was like, yeah, my clients are my clients. Like, that ain't got nothing to do with True. her. And so because I knew that this was what God wanted me to do, she took me on that journey of really digging deep and getting clear. And one of the things that resonated was that I was really great at being visible. I was really great at getting media attention. And that's what people were coming to me. They would be like, how do you keep landing podcast interviews? And how do you keep landing like magazine features? Like, what are you doing? And I realized that that was my jam. That was Mm. my sweet spot. That was the place that I was just like, you know, hmm, how do I do that? And what I realized was that I was landing it because of the power of my story. Yes. Because I knew how to not only pitch myself, but I knew how to show up and tell an authentic real life story that was going to make impact, that was going to be inspiring. And it led to paid opportunities. So when I really decided to dive back into coaching, I knew I wanted to do it for women of color because one, that's who was coming to me. But also, I think that it is time that we bridge the gap because we as women of color, we don't get the recognition we deserve. We're not making the money that we deserve. And I realized on my own journey that we're waiting for a system to say it's okay to make that money when God has already granted us the permission to make that money. And so we just have to kind of tap into what he's already given us to do it. You know, we have to discover our own sweet spot. And so I literally got back into coaching because I was like, you know what? Visibility is something that I really love talking about. Like I can talk about that in my sleep, but it's teaching women. How do you do it? How do you not only increase it, but make the impact? Because a lot of the women that come to me, they're like, Leah, I want to make impact. I want to be able to be, you know, share my story and, and impress people and inspire. And I'm like, yeah, but that means you got to be willing to share stories that you probably don't even talk about. Because right. what I've learned is that people want to he- hear transformation. Mm. They want to not just know that you went, you were broke, busted, and disgusted. They want to know mm. how did you come on the other side of being yeah. broke, busted, and disgusted. Mm. And so that's kind of how I got into it. And they don't want to hear the abbreviated version. They want to hear the real deep, dark version of right. it. They don't want to, they don't want you to just breeze by. Oh yeah, this happened to me anyway. No, they want you to go deep so that they can really form that bond yeah. and that connection. And I think the other thing too, Leah, that, you know, I like what you said. It's like, you know, sometimes you, you, you got to um, stop asking permission and put people on notice. I'm not asking mm-hmm. you permission to give me nothing. Like you got to put people on notice. Right. And I think for a yeah. lot of us, <clears throat> There are people that feel like they have a story, but storytelling is, 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 is unselfish. And I think a lot of people, oh, my story is so amazing. Like your story, like the things that you've just shared here is, I mean, it's an amazing story and it's, it's, it's almost a, a miracle and a blessing that you're still here. Cause some people wouldn't be able to deal with everything that you've dealt with. And, but the fact that you make this story about other people. And I think you know this as, as us as storytellers and coaches, people always come to, oh, I have an amazing story. People need to hear my story. And it's me, me, my, my. Like, talk to people a little bit about, like, you don't own your story. It's for everybody else. And how, like, give some, give people that perspective of, like, yes, you can have a powerful story, but you have to make it yeah. about other people. Yeah. Talk a little bit about absolutely. that. Absolutely. 
you do. You have to re- recognize that the stories that you want to tell is bigger than you, right? One thing that I learned as a coach and even on my journey of increasing my own visibility is, is the importance of making it about them. The importance of having your audience see themselves mm. in the story. Because I used to be the same way. Like, it's my story. Yeah. I'm going to say it out, you know. Me too. But then realizing that they didn't come to hear you. They come. They came because they want to hear some type of journey, some type of process, some type of transformation. They want to know, how did you go from A to Z? Mm. Like, what happened in your life, right? And when you switch that lens and you realize that, okay, every time I step on a stage, it's not about me. Mm. You know, it's not about what I come to do. And what what has helped me in that journey and what I do every time, even when I do a podcast interview, right before I go on, I have a conversation with God. And I always say to him, decrease me, increase you. Let me say what it is that you want me to say that your people want me to want to hear, because I never know what, what's going to come out of my mouth. I never <laughs> know what story he wants me to tell, but right. he knows. Yeah. And so even when I go on a stage, I'm like, I right, got to show people, mm. you know, who's in that audience today. You know, who needs to be impacted today. You know, who needs to be inspired today. So as your vessel, decrease me let's not go in with the Leah agenda because i i usually can go into anything like all right i know what i'm gonna tell yeah but but then i have to learn to be open to he's gonna shift me because i always like even as i prepare for podcasting i'm like oh okay i know where i'm gonna go and he'd be like nope that's not where we're yeah. Going. yeah yeah and i think there's this you know you always have to be prepared and but i i think having a a, a structure to what you're going to speak about and all that and then that's where the stories and other things kind of lead in. And I've seen people are very extreme when it comes to speaking. They don't prepare at all and they get up there yeah. and kind of fumble through it. Then I see people who are really rigid and, the, and they're so focused on what they want to say. They're not reading the room in the audience to give them what they need at that time. And so I love what you're saying, like your story, whether it's in a book, whether you're speaking on stages or a podcast or some other form of, of you know, media it has to be about them. Like, mm-hmm. and people are reading your story or they're having you speak because they, they, they want hope. Yeah. Where's the hope? Where's the, the tools and the resources that are going to get them to make that shift in their life that, that, they, that they desire? And when it's just about you, they're not getting that. There's no connection. You know, this is the Danny Stone on stage show. I don't see myself. You're not telling stories. The stories don't resonate. People want the hope. They want the hope and the tools and the resources that can help them make that shift and that change. So I completely agree with that. You know, as a coach and a speaker, it's so important. And so for you, now you're doing this coaching, you're really helping women um, to kind of hone and craft their stories. So you recognize that speaking is like a real gift of yours. And I want to say this too. Black people na- have a natural gift to tell stories. It's been passed mm-hmm. down from generation to generation. You know, from slavery times, we had to tell stories. We were, we're, we're natural orators, right? And a lot of people don't recognize that, but it was actually handed down to you through your ancestry. Yeah. And so that's why a lot of, you know, entertainers back in the day when, you know, there weren't very many Black entertainers once those first entertainers and singers and musicians and actors were allowed on stage and in, and to, to sing music, 
the white people in the mainstream media realize how great we are mm -hmm. at telling yeah. stories and entertaining, right? So it's naturally within us. So I think for a lot of people, they say, oh, what would you say to someone who says, you know, my, I don't really have a story. My story is not like Leah. I haven't grew up mm -hmm. in low-income housing like Danny. No one wants to hear my story. I grew up with two parents. It was a boring life. What would you say to that person who says, I don't, I don't have an interesting story? Yeah, you know, I would sit here and say that everybody has a story. Um, that's one. I think what we get caught up in is trying to make our perfect our story mm. versus realizing that the stories that people want to hear are the stories that are probably the hardest to tell, mm. right? Like go, being able to tell tr trauma stories of going, being brokenhearted or going through a divorce or losing a child. Like mm. those are stories that we are not comfortable with telling. And it actually took a mentor of mine. She used to say, just because you're tired of telling your broke, busted, and disgusted story doesn't mean your audience is tired of hearing it, right? Oh, like, sometimes no. we get to the place where it's like, I didn't tell that story 50 million times. I don't want to tell that story no more, right? And the truth of the matter is, you may have told it 50 million times, but not the same 50 million people have heard it, right? There's always going to be somebody that's going to hear it and hear it from a different lens, you know? So I always tell people, like, when it comes to telling stories, and this is what I teach my clients, always make sure you've made peace with your own story first, mm. because your audience can tell when you're struggling to tell the story, mm -hmm. they can tell when it's not coming from a authentic, genuine, been there, done that, and I'm healing place. Like yeah. they can tell, right? Yeah. And so I always tell people before you pick up a mic, before you go into anything, write a book, have you gone on the journey for yourself? Yeah to heal from that thing that you're about to talk about. Because That's if you so important. haven't, then you're wasting your time trying to tell the story. It's so important. You can't trauma dump. You can't stand on the stage yes. and just dump and then have a breakdown. And people are like, well, what's going on? I'm 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 looking for the I'm looking for you to come out the other side. You just left us. You can't yeah, just yeah. leave people in in the valley. You can't leave them there. You got to lead them out of the valley. And I've seen people do that. And I'm like, yeah. you can't leave the audience like in the valley, you got to bring them back up. So you're right. You have to kind of practice and, and maybe you need therapy and talk to people mm -hmm. close to you. And the more you talk about it, the more that you're going to be able to deal with that. But you, yeah, I agree with that. Like, and, and the other thing that you said I, I, is really important is like, just because you're tired of your story doesn't mean other people are. Les Brown is what, yeah. 77, 78? Yeah. He's, he's been telling the same story for same story. 55 years. And people yeah. still want to hear, tell the, tell the story, you know, they, they, so people are still asking Les to talk about, you know, maybe Brown and being born in an abandoned building. They still want to hear that story. So mm -hmm. just because we're tired of it doesn't mean that other people are. And yeah. that's a good, a good um, lesson for us because sometimes we feel like, okay, I got that off my chest or I said that three or four times on to the next story. It's like, well, people still want to hear it and they might hear it differently hearing from you in person you know, or the yeah. second time they hear it, you know? So I think that's yeah. a good point. And it's yeah. a part of you. I think that's the other thing that we get tired of is, and, and I feel like you disown a part of you when you want to disconnect from the parts of your story that make you who you are. Like I tell anybody, I'm never going to not acknowledge the fact that I'm a daughter of two addicts. That's a part mm. of my story. Mm. It's not the whole story. The book is still being written. It's mm. a chapter in the story, right? But it's a part of 
the woman that everybody gets to see today. Because if she didn't go through the childhood trauma, the rapes, the, like if she didn't have that, you wouldn't see the woman you see today. So I think we do ourselves a disservice by trying to disown parts of our story that make us feel uncomfortable because we're tired of telling it. Yeah. So do you ever think about like, why me? Why do these things happen to uh, me? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I think about it. I have thought about it all the time. And, you know, the what I have learned is um, two things I've learned. One, why not you? Right. I truly believe. And this is, again, my spiritual side kicking in. But I truly believe that there is a time prior to us ever being born that we have a conversation with God. And in that conversation, he tells us, hey, you know, I'm going to bring you into this earth. There's an assignment on your life. And guess what? This assignment might look like you're going to have to come through some childhood trauma. Or this assignment might be you might have to go through a divorce. Or this assignment might be you might get sexually assaulted, right? Like there's an assignment that he kind of lets us know that we have to accept. Yeah. And so I believe that through everything that I've went through, it was a part of my assignment. Wow. And that way before I even realized it, I had already given God a yes. I had already said yes to the trauma, yes to the childhood upbringing, yes to being sexually assaulted, because I understood that he was putting me here for such a greater purpose that I even didn't know. And so even though I've had moments where I'm like, why me, Lord? He's always responded with, why not you? Why not you? Why can I not use you to be the one to lead a different generation down a different path? Why can I not use you to be the one to give voice to people that feel like they have no voice. Why not? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it comes with changing perspective. When you realize that it's not life is happening, you know, to me, it's life happening for me. And right. so learning to change the perspective of when life is lifing and, and stopping and allowing myself to say, okay, God, what are you trying to teach me? <laughs> right? Because <laughs> if you're allowing it, there's a lesson in this. So what's, what am I supposed to learn? Yeah. And that I feel like when you shift that way and you change that thought process, you, you have less anxiety, less stress, less worry, because you're realizing that life ain't happening to me. It's happening for me. Yeah. It's preparing me for something greater. That's it right what, there. That's yeah. that's what it is. The set. What is this? What is this? What is the setback setting me up for? Right. Right. What is the setback setting me up for? And when you can, and, and, and you know, I, there's this, this um, thing that I use with my coaching clients. It's called like raising a bar, the acronym A-B-A-R. Raise your level of what you're asking for. Mm-hmm. Raise, raise your level of believing that maybe it's possible. Raise your level of taking action towards making it happen. And raise your level of receiving the opportunity, yeah. the blessing. And I think a lot of us, at some points, most of the time, our ask is too low. We ask God or the universe, whatever you believe in, it's low. Uh, I just want an extra 5000 I just want to pay this bill. So the ask is low. And I get it because when you're in a tough situation, you just want to make it through. The ask is usually low, but sometimes we wake up and we ask for more. And yeah. then the, we struggle with belief because of failures and missteps and other people's opinions hold us down. But then we have those moments where we do kind of believe because we often say progress equals belief, right? Mm-hmm. We make progress in some area of our life and we're like, okay, maybe I start to believe. We take a little bit more action. But I always find a lot of my clients struggle a lot with the receiving. Mm-hmm. Right? 
They're being called to do something. They're being called to step outside of their comfort zone. You know, they're being pulled towards something or they ask for something and it doesn't come the way packaged the way they expect. And I find a lot of people struggle with the receiving. Yeah. And so when I'm, when I'm talking to them and they're telling me about things that have happened, I'll say, you know, that was what you asked for, right? You know, that was an opportunity. And they'll be like, no, it didn't come like this. So mm-hmm. a lot of people struggle with the receiving and answering the call. Yeah. And you've seen the answer the call over and over again, even in the midst of, I don't, I'm not ready. I don't think this is me. Like, what advice would you yeah. give somebody right now who's feeling stuck in some area of their life? They feel like they're being called or pulled to something, but they just, they're not ready. They feel unequipped. They don't think that's mm-hmm. what they should be doing, but it keeps coming back to them. It keeps coming back. And it keep, what, what would you say to that person right now? You know, there's two things I would say. One, I would say do it afraid because the fear is going to come. One thing that I have learned and my coach helped me to see this is when you are anxious about something, when you're fearful about something, really, it is your body's way of letting you know that you have to rely on something bigger than you to get you through this moment. Like I used to look at anytime I would be anxious to speak, I'd be like, Oh God, I get these butterflies. Like I used to look at that as a bad thing. Right. And really it's a great thing. Cause it's God's way of reminding you, Hey, you need me. Yeah. Like you need to tap into <laughs> what you mean <laughs> so that you can get through this moment. Right. So I would definitely say do it afraid. But then the other thing I would say is your next is awaiting your arrival. And the only person that can slow down the arrival is you. Mm. It's you. Yeah. So even with not knowing, because here's the thing as human beings, we just want all the details, right? right? And if you're a spiritual person like me and you believe in God, you know you serve a God of no details. Like he'd be like, go. You'd be like, go where? Am I going left, right? <laughs> right North, right. south? <laughs> like, where are we going? <laughs> right? Like he just, he doesn't give the details. He gives it to you. Little by little, it's just like a GPS, right? Like you go in the direction and as you get closer to your destination, then it's like turn right, turn left, right? Right. And so I say, do it afraid. Do it afraid. Stop waiting for opportunity to come knocking on the door. Stop waiting for somebody to say, hey, you now have a seat at the table. I tell my clients all the time, create your own table and invite them. Like, you know, like create Do your own thing and invite and invite others to come along. So I think we do a lot of times waiting and waiting is great when you got to prepare. But when you've prepared for what it is that you deserve and you desire, go after it. Like I tell for me, I say my legacy is I will know when it's time for me to go, when I have thrown myself at everything that I said I want to do and Mm. I've done it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Then it's like, all right, God, we out. Let's go. You got to start. You, you got to start before you're ready, and you know you got to borrow other people's belief in t- in you until you can believe in yourself, right? Yes. And and most of us, if you don't have people like that, you got to seek them out. You know, my my grandmother was this like little tiny five foot four Jamaican lady, right? And they emigrated. Her and my grandfather immigrated to Canada back in the '60s, right? So, but she was always this fierce, tough woman, right? And always helping people in the community, but the type of person that would tell you like it is. And she used to say all these things like, you know, um, you know, she used to say to me, show me your friends and I'll tell you who you are. And you're strong enough. You're strong enough to walk your own path. She said that to me all the time. And I would always keep asking her, what does it mean? And, and, you know, eventually I realized I was hanging out with the wrong people. I was listening to the wrong people. 
And when I decided to change that lens at 18 years old and, and choose a different path and go to university, it actually opened me up to like listening to what my mentors and coaches were trying to say to me. It's like I already had people who were believing in me. I just couldn't see it because yeah. my lens had to change. And so yeah. what you're saying is like one of the things that I believe is like being a part of a community, being yeah. around people who believe in your greatness, who see things in you, who are going to hold you accountable for doing what you say, but they're also going to be cheerleaders when you need it. Like yeah. for me, that's why I started the Champion You community. That's why I believe in the power of community. That's why I believe in coaching. As soon as you said you had a coach, I'm like, yeah, me too. I've had coaches for lots of different things. So like, what would you say to like women or anybody right now? Like, you know what? I don't, I don't think I, I don't believe in myself. I can't, I don't see myself as a writer. I don't see myself as making a greater impact. What would you say to them about becoming a part of a community? Yeah, I would say community is everything. Um, you definitely need a tribe on this journey called life and even in business. Like mm. you can't do it alone, you yeah. know. Um, and be I would also say be open to being stretched. Cause one thing community is gonna do is it's it's gonna stretch you. Like <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna challenge you. You know, you might have that coach that really holds you accountable and you just be like, ah, stop, stop asking me. You know, like I I'll tell you real talk, like I come prepared in my coaching sessions with my coach because I already know what she's going to ask me. Like yeah. that's the level of stretching she does, like especially if it comes to like me launching something. I know to come prepared with the numbers, price point, because she's going to ask. Right. Like I already know. And I think that's the beauty of community is that you get stretched in a way where it challenges you to level up. Yeah, It challenges you to be like, you know, maybe I was thinking too small. You know, maybe I was not thinking on a higher level, you know, but then it also challenges you to begin to really see you. Mm. And it's nothing like having people that don't have a problem holding up the mirror, you know, to you and be like, Hey, let me just show you, you. And that's why I tell people, like, I've had people like, Oh, Leah, can you hold me accountable? And I'm like, do you really? Like, do you mm. really want me to hold you accountable? Right. Exactly. Like, no, they don't. They don't. Accountability, right? <laughs> Leah, just like, tell me, I'm just tell me I'm doing okay. Just tell me I don't have right. to do That's all they want. You know? Right. <laughs> Because my level of accountability is me showing you you because I have people in my life that doesn't have a problem being like, girl, stop acting like your stuff don't stink. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, like, so, but I think there's so much power in community because you can do more together than you can do by yourself. I agree. Like, we truly need each other. And I think what kind of sabotages community is this thought process that you're my competition. Mm. I tell people all the time, the only person I compete with is myself. Right. I'm always trying to outdo me right. <laughs> every me day. Me too. You know, like I don't see any other coaches competition. I look to be like, all right, so what do you do? Okay, cool. So how do I do like, how do we collaborate? So we both get what we want because at the end of the day, we're, we're all serving or wanting to serve a higher purpose. But the only way we can do that is by we leaning on each other. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I, I a hundred percent with that. Once I started connecting with other speakers and coaches and collaborating, my business took off the same. Mainstream media started coming. All these other things started happening. So I completely agree with the power of community and coaches and mentors. It's so important. And like you were just, you just talked a little bit about, you said something about your course. So talk, talk to us about your course and the program that you have coming up. 
Yeah. So podcasting is something I do. I am on a mission to create more female-led podcasters um, because it's not enough of us in this industry. Like we need more women stepping into the podcasting arena. And so how it came to be really was I was on Clubhouse running my mouth about podcasting and it dawned on me that there's a need for pe- women podcasters and more of us. So I kind of, you know, do, do what we do. We put out market research, we ask the right questions. And I realized that people, there were women that wanted to get into podcasting. Yeah. They just didn't know what to do. And so November 7th, the doors open to my six week program called Profitable Podcaster, where I literally teach them how to start, build and launch in six weeks record time. Wow. And it started really before I turned it into a course, it was a four week intensive. And I was like, all right, you know, I'm on to something here. And I can say the ones that have gone through my intensive, we have successfully launched. Some of them have already hit international status. And wow. like, so awesome. yeah, I'm bringing, I'm bringing the course doors open November 7th and I'm excited. I'm excited to be able to give the people all the knowledge that I have around the podcasting space and see them launch into the podcasting industry. That's so amazing. So amazing. We definitely need more women in podcasting. We definitely need more women of color um, in podcasting. There's so much space for this. Um, You know, when you you think of the amount of podcasts, there really isn't that many. There's a few hundred Mm -hmm. thousand that are actually active. A few hundred thousand, that's nothing, right? Like, that's nothing that are active, you know? So, I think this is really amazing. You know, definitely, you know, any women who are listening, you definitely need to sign up and 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 get in this program and get your podcast live in six weeks. That's it. Six weeks, man. Come on. What are you waiting for? Like, you know, you have so much knowledge and skills and experience that we can all share with the world. And a podcast is a great way to do that in whatever form you choose. Right. So I love that. And, and, you know, congrats on your podcast as well. Hey queen. I love, I love the name. The name is May. I'm like, what? I had to say it like, Hey queen. Like I, I love the name. It's, it's so catchy. Thank you. It's so catchy. And, um, you know, congrats on all your success with the podcast. Again, anyone who's listening, make sure you check out, you know, Leah's podcast. Hey queen. I think that's, you know, that's amazing. And, you know, podcasting is, um, it's really about consistency. As you know, yeah. like it's showing up, however frequent you choose to it's not like i post one this month and then i make my make my audience wait four months from now it's like you got to be consistent because once you start to build it's a form of building your own community right and so i love podcasting and you know that's why i don't know i think we're at 100 i don't even know 128 episodes (laughs) 29 something But I love the consistency. I love, you know, getting messages from people all over the world saying, hey, Coach Stone, love this episode. It resonated, connected. Uh, If you have a business, it's a lead generation. So it's all of that stuff, right? Um, Leah, man, we've talked about so many things. And I just want to say, like, I I just love how transparent and open and honest you are. Like, it's really, to me, it's really refreshing in a world where people are always hiding behind their story and they're afraid to kind of pull back the curtain and say, this is who I really am. And this is how I got here. And you're not like that. You, you let people know. And I think that's why people connect with you. And that's why I resonate with you. I'm like, this is my yeah. sister for sure. Like, um, <laughs> I so I got it. two more questions. I got to ask you that I ask every guest. Okay. You got your foot on the gas. You got books out. You're helping people to do podcasts. You're speaking, you're doing advocacy. 
you're doing so many things. But so what does the word grind mean to you? Ah, man, what is the world? You know, for me, grind has a new meaning. It definitely requires me to do a few things. So it definitely means chasing your dreams, you know, all gas, no brakes, or like I like to say, all God, all faith. Mm. Um, But also finding time to do the things you love, like knowing when to press pause, knowing when you just need to kick it with your friends, like learning that balance and that dance between life and business because i I think the different the society has kind of programmed us to believe that we got to go 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 and that's how burnout happens so you can be grinding and still burn out so for me grinding is finding that beautiful dance between living my life and still showing up and being great and doing what god has given me to do so good and and lastly what does gratitude mean to you You know, for me in this season of my life, gratitude is learning to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's indifferent, whether life is life and whether it's like, I I got nothing. Like just learning to be content no matter what and realizing that there are people that are in such a worse situation than me. And there are people that could have took the cards that I was dealt reshuffle that bad boy and deal the better hand you know like but just learning how to be content in life no Mm. matter what wow that's so good leah thank you so much for being on the grind and gratitude show but you dropped so many gems in this like i'm sure people are gonna love this episode they're gonna go back replay it get their notepad uh let people know where they can connect with you yeah, listen, I'm in all the social media streets, Leah M. Forney. I'm on TikTok, Clubhouse, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. But I always tell people, if you want to directly talk to me, shoot me an email, info at leahmforney.com. Awesome. Awesome. Again, thank you so much for being here, Leah. Listen, everybody who's tuning in, make sure you check out Leah. If you're a woman, make sure that you go and you check out that podcast course. It's going to really help you to kind of level up your life and your business. And uh, as always, thank you so much for being here. If you love the podcast, make sure that you leave a review, share the episode. And if you want to get in touch with me, you know, at I am Danny Stone on all platforms. I'd love to hear from you. Send me a direct message on Instagram. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Grind and Gratitude Show. I will catch you in the next episode. Take care, everyone. Thanks so much for being my co-host on this episode of the Grind and Gratitude Show. I really appreciate you. I hope that you learned something and you're motivated to take action and get on your grind. Didn't that go by fast? If you want more, head over to grindandgratitude.com for show notes and more information about this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a rating so more people will tune in. And let me say this, there's something special about you. Grind until you find it. Be grateful when you get it.